Welcome to the Public Services Reform Podcast from the Centre for Market and Public Organisation. My name is Ramesh Vaitalingam and today I'm talking to Deborah Wilson. And we're going to talk about some research she's been doing, looking at how to measure school performance, and in particular how measures of performance are used in constructing league tables of school performance. Deborah, why do you begin by setting the context, explaining what it is the measure you've been looking at? Fine. So league tables for schools have been uh, in place in England since 1992. And most of the measures of performance used in those league tables have been based on raw test scores. So the proportion of pupils gaining five good GCSEs, for example. Uh, In 2002, the government introduced a value-added measure which aimed to look at the impact a school has on the progress of pupils between two points in time. And they did that by including a measure of prior attainment of the pupil. This was superseded in 2006 by a new measure called contextual value added. And what that tries to do is isolate the impact a school has on the progress of the pupils within that school. So it looks at the the outcome of the pupils, but takes into account not only their prior attainment, but also all those background factors that we know influence attainment, but aren't directly related to school performance. Things like ethnicity, uh, income, whether English is spoken at home. So by taking account of the composition of the school in that way, the aim of the contextual value-added measure is to isolate school performance or effectiveness looking at the actual progress made while those pupils are in that school. So you think that this is a, a good way of measuring what a school contributes to the, the progress that uh, individual students make, but you question whether it's useful for constructing league tables, comparing schools against each other. Exactly. So what you have with the, with the CVA measure is because it tries to um, account for all the factors that we know impact on pupils' attainment but aren't within the direct control of the school, by taking account of that, it better isolates the actual impact of the school on pupil progress um, and therefore gives a better measure of the actual performance of the school compared to the outcome measures such as the number of good GCSE passes, which inevitably combine information on school effectiveness with information on school composition, the type of pupils that actually go to the school. So we argue that CVA is a more accurate performance measure. The problem is when that information is used to construct a ranking or a league table of school performance. What CVA does is it gives a measure of uh, the impact of progress. The statistical methodology which is used to calculate it, however, Um, Because the numbers of pupils in schools are relatively small, statistically there is an area of doubt or uncertainty around each individual CVA score. Uh, What that means is that it actually proves very difficult to rank the majority of schools. We find that over half the schools in the country can't be distinguished from the national average according to the CVA measure. Okay, so so what do you, what does, do you think that means in what we do uh, do from here? The uh, the measure is very useful for the schools themselves, and it's presumably useful for their bosses in the in the local education authorities. But you want to, in a way, keep this secret from the parents. You don't want it to be taken by the newspapers and turned into league tables, or taken by uh, the, the government and used in that way. 
Um, I, I don't want to keep it secret. I think it, it has to be uh, used in a very specific way and there has to be much more information and honesty about what these numbers actually mean. So if, if what is produced in the media is a number, is a list of numbers, p parents will inevitably rank schools on the basis of those numbers. Our research shows that that's a misleading ranking exercise because of this issue of uncertainty around each of those actual numbers. So what they are encouraged to do by the way the information is portrayed currently is, is rank schools which actually cannot be ranked in that way. So the way the information is being used is misleading. The information itself is very useful, as you say, so I think it's already being used within schools as an internal performance management tool, um, and certainly local authorities and government can use it as some form of, of monitoring device, if you like. What we argue in our paper is that actually, statistically, you're only able to distinguish the extremes of the distribution, the very good schools and the the, the poorest schools on the basis of this measure. What that enables you to do is once those are distinguished, uh, you can think of this information then beginning the start of a, being the start of a dialogue between policymaker and school, a kind of a best practice exercise with regard to the best performing schools and uh, you know, an investigation into how better to support the worst performing schools. What we argue is the information can be used in that way rather than it being tied to a parental choice agenda and creating league tables, um, the ranking within which is largely spurious. The trouble is that people love league tables, don't they? Do you th really think we could say goodbye to them in this context? <laughs> that, that's true. I suppose then if that's the case, uh, large warning signs need to be put on them. Deborah Wilson, thank you very much. Thank you.